You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good evening, everybody. It's great to see you out tonight. Grab a Bible and uh, find Proverbs chapter 4 as we come to this final lesson learned in the series that we've been in over the last few weeks. Uh, Where did Jake head off to? Jake? Jake? There he is right there. Jake, what an amazing job you're doing on the keys. Jake's dad's here this evening to hear his son play, and I, I know it wasn't to hear me preach, but, uh, but the thing that I find most amazing, and I used to see this 20 years ago when I was a worship minister, is you have someone that has a heart for God, and they pull out their instrument, whether it was something that they played back in school, or in this case, Jake needed a piano. And so back about six weeks ago, Dan and I bought him a little piano and sent it home with him. And this is where he's come over like eight weeks or so. It's just amazing. And I see God do that when we give our talents over to him. It makes a huge difference. And so thanks, Jake, for sharing. Now that I mentioned you, you'll screw up later, but we'll, <laughs> we'll clap for you anyway. Well, whenever there's a fatal car accident, investigators go to great lengths, right, to, to look for the cause. They'll review traffic camera footage today to see what happened. They'll measure skid marks. They'll interview witnesses. If it's an airplane or helicopter that, that goes down, they'll look for that black box, right, to find, to find a clue as to what, what happened. Well, what about when it's a man's life? What about when it's a person's life that crashes? Where do we go then to look for the answer to what went down, what caused this crash in their life? Well, today we would look at their Facebook pages where they've shared parts of their life. Now, we wouldn't know whether that's true or not, so we would talk to family members or we would go to their memoirs, their diary if they kept one. How many of you keep some type of a record of your, your life, a, a written recording? That, that is a great gift for you in your journey of faith, but also for those who come behind you to read about your life. Well, this series is based on just that, these God-inspired memoirs of a man by the name of Solomon. Solomon, who was said to be the wisest man that ever lived. But as we've talked he wasn't always good at applying that wisdom that God had given him to his situation. And in what is known as the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, what we find are the black box details. We find the skid marks. We find the film of a man's life and the lessons that he learned. In Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon records this instance in his life. This chapter is actually words like many of the other chapters that he focuses on giving advice, a lesson learned to his children, in this case, his sons. He says, listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Don't, don't just listen to what I'm saying, right? But I want you to understand this deep in your soul. I give you sound learning, so don't forsake my teaching. For I, too, was a son to my father. 
I was tender, cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Now, when we hear that word heart, we know that Solomon isn't talking about that one-pound muscle found in your chest, that muscle that's capable of pushing oxygen-saturated blood for over 6,000 miles of veins and arteries and capillaries of a young person's body. We know that when Solomon refers to the heart, he's speaking of the very soul the most innermost being of a person. Take hold of my words, he says, with everything that you are, your soul, your heart. And this is what we discover. Everything in our life comes back to our soul, our heart. The heart is the center of our life. The soul is the center of our life. And it is influenced by what we give attention to the most. Our actions, our choices, our behavior are simply an overflow of what we've stored in our heart. Now Solomon's father, he he made reference to his father. His father was David, King David. And David, when he was about to die, he brings Solomon in when he was a boy. And he gives him a similar message in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. It'll be on the screen behind me. He says to young Solomon, he says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, so be strong. Show yourself a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways. Keep his decrees and commands. His laws and requirement is written in the law of Moses so that so that you will prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord will keep his promise to me, that promise that if my descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me, God, with all their heart and soul, you'll never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. You could hear it in his voice. David knows David knows just like us what it's like to live outside of God's desire for us. He he knows what it is to, to know the right thing to do, but yet choose to do it our own way. He he knows how good it is to be in line with God's will, to fill our hearts with the truth of his word and to walk in that truth. And so he says to his son, he says to you and I, the people that that will come after him, he says, So be strong. Be strong. Be a better man than me. Listen to what God requires. But don't just listen. Live and walk faithfully before God with all your heart and your soul. Sound familiar? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love him with the very core of your being. Now, Solomon, he remembers this moment with his dad, and so he he looks at his son right here in this season of his life, and he says, listen to what I'm telling you. Listen to what your mother's telling you. Do better than I did. And in verse 23, Solomon gives this ominous, soul-grabbing lesson learned. Above all else, above 
everything that I've told you so far. Above all else, you guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Now, when we're told to guard something, what does that mean? Well, it implies that it's something valuable, right? It's something worth guarding. And if something's worth guarding, what can happen? It can be taken from you. It, it can be stolen. It, it, it can be captured. It, it can be influenced. It, it can be destroyed if, if put to the wrong situation. Solomon points to the most valuable part of our existence, our soul. It's from our soul that our very life speaks. And so guard what God has done in your heart with everything you have. So how do we guard our heart? Well, David, David said it best when he spoke to Solomon. In verse two of first King, or verse three of First Kings chapter two, he says, Observe what the Lord your God requires. Pay attention to what God requires of you. Walk in his ways, keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements. And some people want to split hairs and they want to say, well, that, that was the law. We're no longer under the law. We live under grace. Well, let me tell you, that does not mean that the law is meaningless. In fact, God's grace gives the law all the more significance to our life. Not if we get it right to earn salvation, but how to live our life as a saved individual. How to guard the very thing that God has entrusted to us. David wrote in Psalm 1, he said, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's saying in very simple terms, my heart is influenced by what I give attention to the most. My heart, your heart, is influenced by what we give attention to the most. Like we learned last weekend, right, when it comes to relationships. The room that we're in the people inside that room that we surround our lives with, the things that we look at, the things that we engage in and listen to, they penetrate the heart. Verse 24, Solomon's a little more specific there in Proverbs chapter 4. He says, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Now, where's the heart at in that? What well, we just said. How do we keep our lips from these things? Well, we first of all pay attention to what we're putting in, exposing to our soul. We stop exposing ourselves to perversity. We stop exposing ourselves to foolish talk. We pay more attention to the music we listen to the conversations that we're part of, the movies and the shows we watch. When we're around people who are complaining about the boss or cutting down the person who has all the attention at the moment, when we find ourselves in the middle of, of sharing that 
that wholesome piece of information about another person looking over our shoulder to be sure they're not walking up on us in the cafeteria, right? When we find ourselves in the middle of this less than encouraging information about someone in our class, what do we do? We don't engage. We don't engage in the complaining. We don't just join the conversation. We don't join in cutting down someone else. My wife gives the best advice to my girls. She learned it herself when she was your age in school. And that is if a person's talking to you about someone else, you can bet your butt that they're talking about you to another person. Do you ever think about that? If you're having a conversation with someone about someone else, and let's face it, you know the conversations I'm talking about. They are they're less than wholesome, less than building up, right? You can bet that that person is going to be talking about you the next opportunity they have to take a breath and to focus on someone else. So we don't engage in that. We don't gossip. I've had the privilege of of uh, visiting a Celebrate Recovery meeting last week. We celebrated with Scott his 30 years of sobriety. And uh, yeah, that's... I guess we'll celebrate it again. Amen. Right? 30 years, seven days, right there. Yep. But while I was there, one of the men who spoke, he spoke about his life. He talked about his past addictions. His name's Larry, and he, he was actually the one leading that meeting that night. He's on staff now at a Christian church in, in Louisville. It's a great thing. But as he talked about his life, as he shared a little bit of his story, he said he's still recovering from having a foul mouth, right? Uh, using those words that are less than appropriate, not just around Christians, but but less than appropriate for any man who's received God's Spirit living inside of him to have come out of his mouth. He says he struggles to choose life-giving words. Jesus' words to us in the New Testament clarify what Solomon and this man named Larry are describing when Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, but an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So what's stored up in you and me? And so we guard our heart by carefully choosing what we're allowing to be stored up inside of our soul, what we expose our life to, our heart to, like like where we spend our time. Where I spend my time shapes my life. Having trouble with your language? Listen to the people around you that you spend time with. They're speaking into your heart more than you know. And the reality is, is you're around them far more than you are around people who don't. You're around far more people who have stored up that foolishness in their heart than those who have stored up good things in their heart by being present right here. You see, one hour a week compared to 40, 50, 60 hours a week, what are you going to overflow? Well, 
the larger portion of what you've allowed into your heart. You want to guard the heart of your children? What do you do? You lock yourself away in a room playing video games? You watch Netflix? You go hunting with your friends every Saturday at your day off? No. You spend time with your kids. You be the first. You be the first to speak truth into their life about sexuality. You don't let them learn it from the kids at school that know nothing about it, by the way, other than perverse ways. You be the first to speak about relationships. You be the first to speak about God, faith, struggles that they face right, right there in the lunchroom and right there on the playground, right there at college. Welcome home, some of you that have been away. It's good to have you home for a couple of weeks. How many of you, how many of you struggle with guarding your heart because of where and how you spend your time? What I watch changes the way I see my life. Boy, nothing could be more true. What I watch, what I watch changes the way I see my life. Now, I have noticed this more the last five years than any in my life. This has always been true. This has always been true since I was taught this as a young man, just like Solomon is teaching his son. But if you watch any of the major networks today, any, any of them, then all you've seen and heard is fear, conspiracy, death, sexuality outside of God's design and plan, According to the media, we're all racist, and, and anything that points to our history should be destroyed, hidden, or changed at all costs. You know what I'm talking about. You've heard it. We need more social programs instead of families who walk in God's command. I was listening to talk radio this week. They're wondering why three people get murdered today in Louisville. It's because we're not spending enough millions of dollars on social programs. Bull. How many of you have turned the news off for a period of time? Show me. Have you turned it off for a week or two? It totally changes your perspective. And you say, but you're, but you're hiding your head in the sand. You're burying the, the truth. A am I? Really? We're all racist? It's a virus that's going to kill us, not, not our separation from God? Uh, we need more social programs? We, we, instead of families? I don't think we're missing the truth at all. When was the last time you watched the sunrise and the sunset? I've observed the kindness of police officers alongside the road helping people change their tires. I don't know where these people have been, but that's what I see when I'm out there. I see police officers showing up at people's houses that don't know how to live right to put their lives in danger for fools all the time. I see healthcare workers that have worked endless hours to help the sick, and now they're being told they're going to lose their job because they won't do what someone commands that they do with no real evidence. Who I hang with will change the way I act. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. My, my youngest daughter, Emma, don't you dare say a word to her about this. It's just between me and you. 
But my youngest daughter, Emma, started collecting shot glasses at the age of four. Don't ask me why. It, I, they're just her size, all right? But she has got a shelf full of them. Anytime an elder here goes on vacation, they bring her back one. You know, it's, it's just something that she's done. But recently, she had her cousin sitting at our kitchen bar doing shots of Propel with them. And I'm like, where did she get that from? Well, she got it from Brandon's son, spending time with him at church. And the other staff kids, right? It's the people that we hang with, right? We see this stuff going on, and so we do it. It becomes part of us. What I listen to will change the way I speak. Those of you that are from Kentucky that moved to Indiana, you know this is true. You go back and you visit family in Kentucky, you come back three days later, and you sound like a hick all over again. People point it out to you, but it's more than that. What song do you hum when you're anxious? Well, what's the first one that comes to your mind? <laughs> I thought of one, but <laughs> well, I'm not going to share it. What pops out of your mouth? when you hit your thumb with a hammer or the preacher pulls up behind you and bumps your bumper a little bit, right? What tone do you use with your coworkers and with your spouse? See, what we listen to will change the way we speak. Solomon said, Solomon says, the wise woman builds her house but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Guarding our hearts means that we take responsibility first for what we expose our heart to, what we give our attention to. Second, I guard my heart by trusting God is at work in my situation to fulfill his good and perfect plan. I guard my heart by trusting that God is at work in every situation. Oh, we don't have any trouble with the good ones, right? But what about the challenging ones? Now, remember, when we're told to guard something, we do so understanding what? It's vulnerable to attack. It can be taken from us. When are you most vulnerable to attack? Well, when you take your eyes off of what God is doing. When you think that there's no hope. When you think that you've screwed up beyond the ability to ever come back. Solomon says in verse 25, he says, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. What happens when you're looking straight ahead? Can you see what's behind you? No. Can you see what's beside you? Well, a little bit. Look ahead. He says, fix your gaze. Jesus describes Satan as who? Your guardian angel? No. As what? A giver of good gifts? No, a thief. Someone who wants to steal what? The most valuable thing that you have. He's a thief that not only comes to steal, but to kill and to destroy your soul, the most important part of who you are. Are. He's after your heart. And one of the ways that he attacks our soul is when we're in a desert, when we're in a time of famine, emotionally, relationally, financially, 
spiritually. And don't misunderstand. Famine comes when we have all of those things overflowing in our life and we've gotten so good at it that we feel like we don't need God at all. It's in these times that Satan comes to us and he challenges what we believe. He challenges what and who we've placed our trust in. He challenges the plan that we've been following all along, but now we're in a rough spot. He attacks us. He, He plants that seed of doubt, uncertainty. He attacks the very core of our identity. Satan even tried this with Jesus. Do you remember when he did this? It is a pretty big deal. Jesus had just been baptized. What's baptism represent? His alignment with God the Father, right? The same thing it represents in our life. We surrender to God in Christian baptism to say, God, I'm obedient to you. I'm yours. It's part of our process of salvation. You believe, you repent, you're baptized. Just after Jesus was baptized, the very next sentence, he was swept away to the desert for 40 days and 40 nights where he went without food. You ever gone without food for three hours or six hours? Boy, my whole family gets grumpy when one of us is without food for a short time. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 3, remember Satan's attack? If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you're the son of God, throw yourself off this cliff and and let the angels come and, and, and protect you and and save you. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And how did Jesus respond? Oh, yeah, that that sounds like a great idea. Away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, verse 11 is one I want you to, to note. It says, then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. When you and I, when we hold the line, when we guard our very soul, when we look straight ahead and not get distracted by the thief's attack, our heart remains guarded. And even God's angels will come and minister to us, strengthen us, help us. So tell me, when are you most distracted? When are you most distracted? distracted. Is it not when things are a little tough at home with mama? Isn't it when things are going so good at work, you're going gangbusters, and and you're even traveling now, and you, you find yourself in a hotel room away from everybody, and there's something else to watch, or there's someone that wants to meet you down at the bar? When are you most distracted? Is it when everything's going well and you don't feel you have to rely on God or is it when you're without? When you're without direction or, or hope or a solid plan, a, a vision of what's ahead. You see, all these normal occurrences have in, happen in all of our lives. We, we all experience this. And these are the moments we need to lean in the most. We need to up our game. We need to guard our heart. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good 
purpose. You see, all of these times are opportunities. Verse 26. Solomon says, make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Now, this implies that it's whose responsibility to guard their heart. Is it his? No, it's mine. It's yours. Notice the key words, right? Make level paths for your feet. You make level paths. You take only ways that are firm. Don't swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Here, here's my takeaway from this. I must be preemptive in guarding my heart. Now, pre preemptive simply means that I think ahead, that I prepare myself in advance. I don't wait until the attack. I don't wait until I'm tempted. I don't wait until I'm in a time of famine. I have a plan. Like, I have this plan when I'm driving. How many of you have plans when you're driving that if something happens, you know exactly how you're going to react? I, I play it all through my mind, right? It's part of being an offensive driver, right? You, or a defensive driver, right? <laughs> but I have this no-swerve policy. I don't swerve for squirrels. I don't swerve, swerve. I don't. I don't swerve for chickens. And there's a lot of chickens out in the road where we live. And I don't swerve for cats, right? I don't swerve for any of those things. You can ask my wife. You can ask my daughters. In fact, I ran over so many squirrels when Olivia was little. Every time she would hear the thump, she'd say, what was that, Daddy? And I'd say, oh, he fell from the tree. Right? That squirrel just fell from the tree. He's back there rolling around crazy in the road. But I don't swerve for anything. Now, being preemptive is important. It means that I, at some point, make some important decisions up front, like choosing the path that I take. I'm always going to choose a firm path a narrow path, the path of truth, the path of integrity, the path of life. I need to make the decision right now that I will not swerve no matter what the obstacle is, right? My goodness, we swerved a lot last year. I was at a meeting this past week, and it was the most depressing meeting that I've been with in for some time, and it was with a room full of ministers whose hearts were broken by the fact that we had swerved last year. Oh, the church, the church, it's okay for the church to close. Everything's closing. What a terrible, terrible decision. What a swerve. We should have made that decision a long time ago. And I can tell you, we made it here. We will never swerve. Never. Doesn't matter if we've got a Republican governor or a Democrat governor. It doesn't matter. We'll never swerve in that. I'm going to keep my eyes on truth. And one thing I know for sure is I will not even let one footstep into something that's evil that's sinful. Did you notice that? 
Solomon uses the singular instead of the plural. He says foot instead of feet. Does that mean his son just had one foot? No. No. But that first step usually determines the second step, right? Where that first step goes, that second one always follows. And my friends, whether it's dating, whether it's sports that want all of your attention on Saturdays and Sundays and Wednesday nights, whether it's taking one drink, one puff, one injection, what happens? Once that one foot's in, it's like quicksand. It will pull you until it gets the other one in there too. Always. Always. Here, Solomon's re reminding us, choose wisely where that first step is placed. It's probably the most important lesson tonight. The first step to guarding my heart from which all of my life comes, the wellspring of my life, is to say, here's my heart, God. My heart is yours. I want you to be my Savior. And we're always quick on that. But I also want you to be my Lord. I want your commands to be written on my heart. I want your ways to be the ways that guides the path that I take, that guides the steps that I take, one foot at a time. If you take away any lesson learned from this series, and there have been a lot of lessons, my hope, my hope is that it be your first step, your next step, and every step that follows be in alignment with God. Not what you think is best, not what all of them think is best, but what he says and what he knows is best for your life. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for men like Solomon that weren't afraid to confess their failings, the choices that they made in life that were in complete opposite of the wisdom that you've given us. Father, your word that we have at our fingertips, on our phones, in our hands, the word that we've memorized and put into our hearts, Father, that's life. That's truth. That's the guard that we have. And so, Father, may we embrace it. And Lord, may the lessons that we learn be of your goodness of your faithfulness, of what it is to follow you all the days of our life, to plant ourselves among the wise and the believing instead of the fools. Lord, we love you. We thank you for not leaving us on this journey alone. 
but by giving us your Holy Spirit that lives in us, guards us, seals our heart for the day that you'll come for us. Father, we're grateful for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you haven't taken that first step of surrendering your heart, your life, the very core of who you are to Jesus Christ, this is always the opportunity for you to come. I know some of you have reached out to me this week and you've, you've wanted somebody just to pray with you and to encourage you or to listen to some of the things that you've allowed into your heart this week. This is a great opportunity for that. The whole church can pray for you. You don't have to tell them all the details, but you can come and you say, I need prayer for my heart, for my soul. Maybe you come this weekend and you've, you're a believer. Maybe you gave your life to Jesus Christ when, when you were younger, but the church has not been a part of your journey. My goodness, my goodness, where would we be without each other to speak truth, the truth of God's Word into our life every day when we're surrounded by such, such distractions. Come and, and be part of this family. Let us get to know you and you know us. It, it'll, change your, it'll change your days. Whatever your need, I pray that this new song will be your words to God tonight. I'll be right here.